You're listening to the Victory Church Podcast. Here at Victory, we are called to equip a caring, committed community of worshipers to reach their world for Jesus. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. Continuing our series on life hacks. And of course, the ultimate life hack is wisdom. Wisdom that we know that God can provide. Now, I want to start out with the book of Job. And you probably know that Job suffered an inordinate amount of pain and loss and difficulty. He lost his family. He lost his finances. He lost his health. And he had so-called friends who came around him to share their so-called wisdom. And after hearing enough wisdom, the writer of Job in, 20, verse, in chapter 28 has what the NIV calls an interlude. And after so much foolishness, which was trying to pass itself off as wisdom, we need an interlude. And the beginning of this chapter, Job 28, gives us uh, an example of going after gold and silver and precious stones. And it really points to the way that human beings would go to great lengths to dig up and find treasure. But it also does something else. It talks about the amazing technology of their day, to think that they could sink a shaft and find such treasures 4,000 years ago. And think about that as it compares with the technology that we have today. It's amazing just what we've seen in the last 20 or 30 years, let alone last 4,000 years. It's been amazing. I think about the fact that in 1980, as a young man in the Army, I went to Panama, where I lived for almost three years. And during that time, I talked with my parents by phone one time, just one time. I didn't have a phone. We didn't have cell phones. There was one phone that was available to soldiers in the day room, and that was pretty much it. So I only talked with my parents one time in all those years. Yet now we have smartphones. Just think in 2007, the first iPhone. And my family is an iPhone family. And with two daughters who have lived in Australia for a few years for their studies at Hillsong College, we have been able to stay connected almost every day. We text and we look at each other's Instagram posts and comment on those. And we're able to do FaceTime conversations where we're not only able to talk to each other, but we can see each other and we can do that anytime that we want. Think about data storage and, you know, the technology we have there, the uh, computing power of our devices and our computers. And it kind of makes me laugh a little bit to think about the purchase of our very first computer. <laughs> it was my first year of ministry, and I felt like I needed a computer to write sermons on and to do Bible studies with. And I went and bought what was described as the ultimate machine. It was going to do everything that I needed. And I remember the salesman said, it has a 20 megabyte hard drive. And then he said this, he really said this, all the power you'll ever need, all the space you'll ever need, 20 megabytes. Can you believe that? Now we're talking about terabytes and all those kinds of things. And you know, 
technology. Here's one I really love. Thank God and Google Maps that I never have to stop and ask for directions to anything again. You know what pain for a lot of us men to have to ask somebody for directions and to have Google Maps and GPS and all those kinds of things. It's absolutely amazing. But are we any wiser? The writer of Job 28 brings up wisdom and says that in spite of all the efforts that they were able to extend to dig up treasures, in spite of all the technology and the abilities of humanity, that there was still only one place to find wisdom. And it's not from a gold mine. It's not from technology. It's not from human ingenuity. It's not even from the supernatural or from the world beyond. It talks about even death itself does not necessarily open the door to true wisdom. And we're going to pick up in Job 28, beginning with verse 20. Where then does wisdom come from? Where does understanding dwell? It is hidden from the eyes of every living thing, concealed even from the birds in the sky. Think about their perspective. Destruction and death say only a rumor of it, of wisdom, has reached our ears. Verse 23, God understands the way to it, and he alone knows where it dwells. For he views the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When he established the force of the wind and measured out the waters, when he made a decree for the rain and a path for the thunderstorm, then he looked at wisdom and appraised it. He confirmed it and tested it. And he said to the human race, The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to shun evil is understanding. Now, about 2,000 years later, the Apostle Paul is on the scene, and he is severely challenged by a group of Christians who prided themselves on their great wisdom. They valued wisdom. They thought that they had wisdom. But Paul gives them this warning in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 18. Paul says, Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, this world system, you should become fools so that you may become wise. Do not deceive yourselves, Paul says, because you're just wise by the standards of this age. And that truly is a difficult position to be in if we're going after wisdom, if we want real wisdom. I have a friend who uh, is a great follower of Christ, a great minister, a great servant of the Lord, and he has been serving God for many years now. But when he was a young man, he almost destroyed his life through the abuse of drugs and alcohol, just a very self-destructive lifestyle. And he said that after he started his recovery process, he began going to AA, a 12-step program, and early on in his experience with AA, he stood up and in all his wisdom began telling everybody else in the meeting how they needed to work the program, what they needed to think, and all these things. He was full of answers for everybody else. And after a little while, uh, another of the attendees who had been in recovery for many years by that point and who had probably a little bit more wisdom stood up pointed his finger and says, young man, 
It's your best thinking that got you in this place in the first place. It's your best thinking that got you here in the first place. And that's true of the messes that many of us have experienced in our personal lives. It's our best thinking that got us in the mess that we're in. And the same thing could also be said of our whole world system, of this fallen world that we find all around us and all the mess that we are in. It's our best thinking as human beings that got us in this mess. Hmm. Well, if our best thinking creates a mess, what do we need to do? We need to find true wisdom. We need to find wisdom from God. But for some people, that doesn't seem like a suitable recourse, a suitable, suitable plan of action, because in a lot of people's thinking, uh, God's wisdom doesn't apply anymore. It's too old-fashioned. It's too out of date. Biblical wisdom has been used in the past to justify a lot of crazy things, a lot of ungodly practices even. So how could we find wisdom from God? And, you know, I understand that there have been periods in human history where slavery has been justified by a misuse of the Word of God, a misuse of Scripture. And I believe that's horrific. It is so wrong. But do you know what that proves? It proves that, that Christians can sometimes be so bought in to a fallen world system that does not operate by godly wisdom, godly principles, right way of, of thinking and living. We can be so bought into the world that's around us that we can actually be susceptible to twisting God's wisdom, twisting the Word of God, twisting Scripture to make it fit what we want it to fit. And if that's true of previous generations, that they could twist God's wisdom to make it fit some ungodly things, guess what? It could be true of our own generation as well. See, we're just as susceptible as the Corinthian church and as those who use the Bible to justify slavery and other terrible ways of treating their brothers and sisters. We can do the same thing today. We can distort godly wisdom. And the truth is, we just kind of buy into the world around us and don't realize the degree to which it shapes our thinking, our understanding. And we can begin to deceive ourselves and think of, us, of ourselves as wise according to the standards of this age. But this age is fallen. I think it's so important to understand the uh, possibility that we could have skewed perspectives during this season in which we find ourselves right now because it's an election season and people are thinking about perspectives and viewpoints and what is right and what is wrong politically. That gets into how we see and understand the world and how we think the world is supposed to operate. And we can fall prey to the wisdom of this age which is really contrary in many respects to the wisdom of God. Let's recognize that our political system is steeped in a lot of false worldviews. Steeped in a lot of false worldviews. And I know, we're, we're Americans, and we, we have a government that 
200 years ago was founded on Christian principles for the most part. And I know some people argue with that and say, well, so many of the founding fathers were deists and not really Christian. But if you think about how they viewed God even 200 years ago as deists, their view of God, what they thought about in terms of the attributes of God, probably fit a biblical worldview more than we can realize. It doesn't mean they were Christians, but it means the way they conceived of God was in many respects based on the Bible. They might have thrown out a lot of the supernatural and they might not have fully understood and believed in the work of Jesus Christ in salvation. But when they thought of God, their thinking was shaped by Scripture to a huge degree. They depended upon divine providence. You know, we have come a long way from those roots. And uh, we see an unwise foundation in a whole lot of political discourse today. Can we just acknowledge that? And we just have a lot of foolishness on the far right. What do we see? On the far right, we kind of have a, a God and country mentality, a God and country worldview that finds our primary identity. And, you know, I'm American and, you know, I, I'm, I, of course I'm a Christian. I'm American, aren't I? Kind of that mentality. Uh, we find our identity in being American and being patriotic. And, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with being an American and being patriotic, but when it becomes our primary identity, when we see being American as the equivalent of being the people of God, when we see America as the equivalent of God's promised land, then we have produced a civil religion which is not necessarily based on the wisdom of God. And we should be aware of that. And of course, then you have extreme right that goes even further and sees nationalism and race as our primary identity. And that's where you get into white supremacy and those kinds of things. And that flies in the face of finding our identity in relationship to God. And as we find identity in relationship with God, that means we have relationship with other people as sons and daughters of God, or at least people made in the image of God, even if they are not yet children of God through their faith in Jesus. So that far right stuff is sometimes way out of bounds in terms of being rooted in biblical truth and biblical wisdom. Let's hopefully be able to see that where we need to see that. And on the far left, guess what? You have the flip side of the exact same coin. We have a worldview that does not take into account our identity as people made in the image of God. And as Christians, sometimes Christians who have far left leanings, we don't find our primary identity in who we are as children of God. Instead, we buy into the worldly philosophies that predominate in so much of our left-wing thinking. We see the world is divided not into people who know God and people who are yet to know God, but we see the world divided as oppressor and oppressed. And you're in one category or the other, and that shapes everything about who you are and what you think. So, uh, and, and, and the bad thing about that 
is that if you disagree with that particular perspective in the worldview, then that just proves that you're an oppressor. And that is no foundation for real wisdom. It's not a foundation for real political dialogue. It's not a foundation that enables us to respect each other regardless of skin color or any other differentiating factor. And the reality is that for us as Christians, we do stand against oppression, but we do so on a different foundation. And that different foundation is our identity as children of God. We have a worldview that's based on the identity that God himself can give us. So, you know, we just have a bunch of foolishness politically on all sides. And it's a very difficult and challenging and messed up situation to be in. And it's no wonder that there are certain movements that just disavow any political activity whatsoever and don't even allow their people to vote. You know, the Amish people are not too upset about politics right now, I'm sure. And hopefully you're not either, because we want to make sure that as we are engaged with the world around us, that we are engaged for the things that God would have us stand for, but not based on the mentality of a fallen world system, but based on the reality that God is bringing about through the advancement of his kingdom, through his people, through his church. That's why we can love each other here at Victory Church across all kinds of of social dividing lines because our primary identity is, is who we are in Jesus and we're brothers and sisters in Jesus, and we love each other, and we are striving to, to see the status quo of this fallen world overturned and to see the kingdom of God advance in power. I believe God's got a great plan for us at Victory Church in that regard. But there are a lot of people all around us, and maybe even a few of us within the body of Christ, who are pretty passionate about our perspectives, our political perspectives. Sometimes you begin talking about those things and people get more upset about their politics being challenged than about things that really do matter to God and eternity. And I'm not going to you know, meddle too much and get into too much specifics, but if we find ourselves getting more upset about political issues than we are about some of the concerns that as Christians we need to be attending to, then we might need to to take stock of where that challenge rubs us raw. I heard somebody say, if this rubs your fur the wrong way, turn and go the other way. And a lot of times when the things of God rub us the wrong way, we are just made more cognizant of the need to go in a different direction than we're going right now. And I'm not saying that to those who are particularly left-leaning or right-leaning. I am saying it to all followers of Jesus Christ. There are godly ways to approach these things. And let me just say, too, because sometimes we think, well, you know, well, they're passionate about their cause. They're passionate about what they believe in. But passion doesn't make it right. Just because you believe in a certain medicine doesn't mean that it's going to be efficacious for making you well. In fact, that medicine might do you harm if you take it and you're not supposed to use it the way that you take it. It's not necessarily going to do you good because, well, this is your choice and it's just what you are going to do. And if that's true of medicine, it's also true of a worldview, of a political philosophy, or of a way of thinking, even of religion. It's not true just because somebody is passionate about it. It's true because 
It is grounded in reality. And who created this universe? Who created this world? God did. So it's true if it's ultimately grounded in God and the way he has created this universe. Now, the current trend is, you know, to see truth as subjective and individualistic. You know, we celebrate he told his truth, she told her truth, I tell my truth, you tell your truth, and everybody has a truth. I, I just want the truth. <laughs> Daniel Patrick Moynihan said many years ago that everybody is entitled to his own opinion, but not his own facts. And that still remains true today. Everyone is entitled to his own opinion, but not his own facts. Facts are facts. Truth is truth. God's wisdom is God's wisdom, and we find that in the Lord. So Paul says to the Corinthians, do not deceive yourselves with regard to the wisdom of this age. But in the second part of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, the last part of that verse, he says, not only don't deceive yourselves, but you should become fools so that you become wise. Become fools so that you become wise. In other words, Christians, we have to be ready to be thought of as foolish when it comes to the wisdom of this world. Because there are some ways of this world, some ways of thinking in this world that just do not comport with God's reality. But if people don't understand God's reality, if they don't understand God and the nature of God, if they don't understand humanity in the light of God, if they don't understand our identity as derived from God, then they're going to see your viewpoint that is derived from God and God's reality as foolish. What do we do? Do we reject God's reality because we don't want to be considered foolish? No, we have to do as Paul said there in the second part of that verse, we have to become fools so that we can really be wise. In other words, you're going to have to go against culture a little bit. I think it's great when God gives us cultural bridges so that we can use new methods and new ways to deliver an old message, an unchanging message of the love of God and Jesus Christ. But that doesn't mean that we buy into the world's ways of thinking. That doesn't mean that we buy into the world's wisdom. And sometimes we're just going to be seen as foolish. That's not only true in the political realm, that's true in academia as well, especially once you get into advanced learning as you get into university and college, because academia is steeped in a lot of unchristian worldviews. It really is. And many of the assumptions of academia and philosophy and understanding our world don't take into account the reality of God, the nature of God, the fact that we are His handiwork, the fact that the universe was created by God and God is still engaged in His creation. And uh, so often what we see because of that is that Christian young people go off to their university studies and as they face these worldviews, they end up having their faith challenged, the wisdom of God challenged, and sometimes they're put to shame. Sometimes they're made to feel foolish. Sometimes they just don't get the logical connection that would support their faith perspective. And so 
it becomes really easy to throw out their Christian faith and instead replace it with an ungodly or unscriptural or worldly or what God would call foolishness in his perspective way of thinking about the world. Hmm. Yeah, I don't blame young people for not wanting to seem backwards and out of date and out of touch. And another thing that I often see is that our young people have not been given the logical or rational tools to deal with some of the philosophies that they face in the university classroom. And think about this. A lot of the professors have been about their work for many, many years. Uh, they, they perhaps have tenure. They uh, have thought through their perspectives. They're very intelligent people. And having thought through their perspectives, they, they have a very logical and very precise system of thinking. And it just makes sense. Layer upon layer, they have it built up, and it just makes sense. And sometimes you feel as a young Christian college student that, hey, this is wrong. There's something wrong with it. But it's like you have this structure. You have this system that's been built up. And you, you deal with this perspective of the professor, and you still have all that to go. You still deal with this perspective, and wow, and you can see that there are so many layers and there's such order and it's such a precise system that there seems to be no way to counter that. And when you feel like there's no way to counter that, then the next thing you know is you throw out your old system. But let me tell you, a lot of times what we can find is that underneath this whole construct, this whole worldview, this whole way of thinking is one assumption, one way of seeing things that is not in keeping with reality. And it could be something just as simple as there is no God. Or if there is a God, we can't know Him. Or if there is a God that we can know, He's not really involved in creation. And once you begin to deal with that foundational structure that is really not true and not out of place, you don't have to... You, you don't have to deal with the whole structure and every logical process that might have gone into building that stru structure. Once you do away with the foundation, guess what? The whole system falls. And I believe that God wants to give you that kind of wisdom. But remember that it's the fear of the Lord is wisdom. The fear of the Lord is wisdom. Job 28, 28 and he said to the human race, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. The fear of the Lord. Proverbs 9.10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. You see, college students, young people, and even those of us who are a little bit beyond college age, when we deal with the wisdom of the world, we don't just need logic. 
We don't just need an intellectual understanding. We don't just need an intellectual approach or an intellectual way of countering the arguments. What we really need beyond anything else to have true wisdom is fear of the Lord. And fear of the Lord doesn't mean that we're afraid of God. It means that we're in awe of God. It means that we have had such an encounter with God that we say, God, you are holy. You are completely other. There is no one like you, God. You are the creator of the universe. You fill this universe in every way. This universe is filled with your glory, yet you cannot be contained by the universe. You are beyond the universe. And still, you make yourself known to me. You love me and you care about me. You have saved me. You have embraced me as your own child. See, when we live in that kind of awe of the Lord, then even when we're faced with things that we don't understand, even when we're faced with situations where we can't have all the answers, even when we're faced with a situation when we feel like, wow, you know, I'm just being made a fool of by the world. But God, I trust you. I trust you. I believe in you. I sense your presence in my life. And I'm going to stand. I'm going to stand on you and who you are and who you have made me to be. And that kind of fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And it will indeed help you stand. After I got back from Panama and went to the, back to college, it was my junior year in college, a young lady in one of my classes prayed for me. I didn't want her to pray for me. I was so embarrassed for her to pray for me. But she prayed, and one of the things that she prayed was, God, use him as you've called him to be used. And when she said that, I was all of a sudden in awe. It was as though my spiritual eyes were opened. It's as though I had sight. I could see God differently than I'd ever seen him before. And I was just in awe of the fact that God had a call on my life. God wanted to work through me. God wanted to use me. I was so in awe that that began a journey, which I hope was characterized by more wisdom than the journey prior to that. And I can tell you, I was in a secular college I was majoring in government along with Spanish, taking a lot of philosophy because that's part of the curriculum of a government major, looking at the, the ways of the world in a, a perspective that was not biblically founded. Yet, because I had had such an awe-inspiring encounter with Almighty God who loved me and had a plan for my life, God kept me on track in terms of knowing Him and following Him and serving Him. And I can tell you, God has a plan for your life too. He has something for you. He wants to reveal himself to you. And as you respond to the revelation that God gives you of himself, you are on track toward true wisdom. The fear of the Lord, that kind of awe of God, who he is and how much he loves you, is the beginning of wisdom. I want to ask you right now, will you receive the wisdom that God has for you? If you're already a believer in Jesus Christ, just get in touch with that reality and say, God, I want the reality of who I am in you to shape my thinking, to shape my perspective, to shape my politics, to shape my actions, to shape the, the lifestyle that I live so that it truly does reflect your wisdom, God. And if you've never given your life to Jesus, would you do that right now? Just pray with me right now. Say these words. 
just repeat them after me as best you can. The main thing is that you believe this and speak from your heart. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your love. You sent your son Jesus to die on the cross. You raised him from the dead, and he is Lord. I believe in you, Jesus. Forgive me of my sins. Change my ways of thinking. Change my life, oh God. Help me live for you. Thank you for receiving me as your child. If you prayed that, welcome to the family of God. Your life is never going to be the same. You are on track for God to give you wisdom in such a way that some of the messes that have preceded this point in your life, he's going to show you how to clear it up. He's going to do some miracles in your life. God bless you. Welcome. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Victory Church Podcast. If this message inspired you, feel free to share it with your friends, family, and social media. And make sure to subscribe to hear future messages from Victory Church. If you'd like to support the mission of Victory, please visit getvictory.net slash give. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day.